You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Up Your Brave show with Natalie Cutler-Welsh here on Reality Check Radio. And I've got a guest coming up for you. It's her second time on our show. I've got Kim Knight. She's a natural health practitioner, a Qigong teacher, and AKA, also known as the Kiwi Health Detective. We're going to be talking about the power of the body to self-heal. Welcome to the show, Kim. Hi, Natalie. Lovely to see you again. Good to have you back. Last time, Kim, you were on uh, as a duo, and this time we get you all to ourselves. For those of you that don't know Kim, um, I've got a little bit of background for you here. So um, Kim is a health explorer. She's been doing this for 35 years after her own personal journey, 28 years um, with clinical depression. She had chronic fatigue following that and was unable to work for 10 years. Flash forward to today, and Kim has healed herself and has now trained in over 20 natural therapies to a professional level. She loves getting to the root cause of the healing without external intervention. And of course, the main focus of what she does, which is what we're talking about today, helping the body to self-heal because it can. She's known as a root cause analysis practitioner. She loves integrating lifestyle medicine, and emotional healing. She's called the Kiwi Health Detective, um, getting to the root cause, and has spoken around the world at podcasts, summits, and in person at medical conferences in the UK, Australia, United Arab Arab Emirates, as well as many other countries. Welcome back, Kim. Thank you, Natalie. What an introduction. I'm really excited to dive into this. I've always been a fan of natural health. And there's so much to learn. And I do think at these times that we're in have encouraged other people to lean in and to ask questions and to want to learn more. So I'm really excited about this interview today. Let's kick off with a big opening question. What is true holistic healing? What do we mean by holistic healing? For me, holistic healing is taking into account all parts of a person. And I like to say that we're a five-star human. So we have the physical body, obviously, but we have our mind, we have emotions, we have energy, and we have the higher part of ourselves, spirit, whatever we want to call that. And those are what I call our five, the five-star human. And each of these parts completely interrelate, interlink, overlap, are interconnected, And each one is affecting the other simultaneously. So we are holographic. And if we don't address all these core aspects, then we can't elicit full holistic healing. I love that concept of the five-star human. Do you think most people only focus on two or three of those stars? Well, we've definitely been brought up, or I was at least, that you focus on the physical There was never any mention when I grew up, when I went to the doctor, of how are you feeling, Uh, how's your energy, Uh, how's your connection with your higher self, (laughs) (laughs) things like this. So for sure, we have been conditioned and programmed and the allopathic system is absolutely focused on the physical. And that is why we we don't get to the root of things. Uh, for example, I, I worked many years ago. She was actually one of my first clients when I started uh, as a practitioner, which was never planned. I never planned to be a practitioner. I was just doing lots and lots of causes and training and healing to heal myself. Uh, and then I ended up being so 
trained and qualified and and then healed myself that people started asking for help but the the first lady that uh, one of the first ladies that I worked with was uh, in her 70s and she had been in hospital for 3 months with uh, chronic uh, abdominal pain and they had done every test under the sun and they couldn't find anything. And I know this is very common. You know, there may be people listening who can relate to this because I've heard it so many times before where people go to a doctor and I'm not putting doctors down. It's just that, unfortunately, the training does not cover this holistic approach. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, so she had been in hospital, every test under the sun, like excruciating abdominal pain. And then they discharged her. They said, we can't find anything wrong. And at the time I was doing, I don't do it anymore, but I was doing an abdominal massage technique, which really uh, connects in with the internal organs. And we store a lot of our stress and our emotions, uh, our trauma uh, in, in our body. And so I was, uh, I don't know how she, why she found her way to, I suppose, yeah, she had abdominal pain, right? So she found, okay, abdominal massage practitioner. And and so I, I we were doing the massage and I touched in on a certain part of her colon and she immediately had a memory of when her mother had died 30 years before and her mother had been in hospital and and she'd gone to visit her uh, one day and then she came back the next day to visit her and her mother had died overnight. And in the moment that the nurse told her, I'm sorry that your mother has died, and of course she hadn't said goodbye, she, it was a shock, uh, you know, grief, uh, sadness immediately triggered inside the body uh, emotionally. But she was brought up in an era where you you don't feel your feelings. You know, and, and so many people still are today, but especially, you know, back then. And so she just uh, swallowed those feelings immediately, held them inside, stored them, and then the, and then the body has this incredible ability with what are called emotional conflict themes to store emotions in specific parts of the body because the body does not just have a biological physical function. It has a metaphysical function. So different organs and tissues and cells in the body will store Uh, emotions according to the biological function and if we think of the digestive system the digestive system is is about digesting food but on an emotional level it's about digesting our life Mm. and digesting emotions and so she wasn't able to digest that particular trauma those emotions and so they literally got stuck energetically and they chose to get stuck in her colon and as soon as we touched that area she had the memory and she was she was able to release that that grief in that moment and the pain disappeared in two seconds gone so I'm not saying that pain can disappear always that quickly but it can and I've had personal experiences of it myself too. So yeah, coming back to the question, you know, what do we focus on? In it, we have mostly been brought up to focus on the physical because that is what doctors are trained to focus on. So what else can they do if that's their training? But there is much more and there are hundreds if not thousands of natural therapy modalities out there and I've personally tried over 250. And they have a much, much deeper and broader and more holistic approach to to looking at illness. I'm so thrilled that you mentioned emotions. I mean, obviously we were going to go there, but a lot of people haven't yet made that connection. 
Um, so what role do unprocessed emotions, you mentioned this woman, she hadn't really, she'd kind of like, as you said, swallowed that experience. She had, she'd stored it away. So that what role do the unprocessed emotions play in terms of the long, your long-term health or chronic illness? They play a massive, massive role. And I would say there's not one client that I've worked with yet where that doesn't apply. I'm still waiting for, uh, you know, exceptions to the rule. I'm always open, but I've not found it yet. Uh, so emotions play uh, a huge role. And, you know, there are many clues. For example, the word disease is a state of dis-ease. So what is that dis-ease? Well, it's a mixture of stress and emotions, and stress and emotions go hand in hand. If we have uh, unhealthy or neg so-called negative emotions inside of us, that creates a state of disharmony inside of us. It creates stress. But we also have to remember that emotions are not good or bad. We, we, mm. we, we say negative and positive emotions. That doesn't mean that they're good or bad. What it actually means is they are uncomfortable they're not pleasant, right? Negative emotions say sadness, grief, hurt, betrayal, uh, loneliness, upset, shame, these sort of emotions. They're unpleasant and they're meant to be unpleasant because we're meant to actually notice them, pay attention to them and do something about them and or do something about the situation that is creating them. Emotions are a form of intelligent communication from the body to the head. But the problem is most people don't realize that what, what emotions are and why they're being triggered. We train ourselves at a very early age to cut off from and ignore our feelings because usually we don't have somebody to help us move through them because unfortunately our caregivers don't know how to do it either. So it's like the sins of the father being passed down. But emotions are actually intelligent and necessary communication from the body intelligence to the head. But most people are living in their head and and disconnect themselves from from their body and from this feedback system. I was just looking behind me on the bookshelf because, um, you know, there's some phrases, right? Like suck it up, princess and whatever, that phrases that we get from friends or well-meaning friends or parents to try to help us when we're down or we're going through a hard time. They're like, come on, come on, come on, you know, pick yourself up. You can do this. Or, you know, like we're trying to be motivational, but I think it's so important, like you said, to like, I use this acronym called AIM, AIM. A, acknowledge how you feel, not just like, oh, I really shouldn't be feeling sorry for myself. Acknowledge how you feel. I, intention. How do you want to feel? And then M, what can you do to move towards that? That's kind of like a cheesy acronym that I use in my family. Um, but do you feel like we're stifled as children? You know, we have all these emotions and then we got we kind of get told or encouraged not to show them. Like, how is that how does that affect the rest of our life, especially when it happens so young, which it does to most of us? Absolutely, massively. I remember some years ago, I was working at the ADHD, and uh, that's the Auckland Health District Board, whatever the acronym is. And, uh, and and one of my colleagues said, oh, I'm going to visit a friend. Do you want to come? I, I don't know why. You know, this friend was in hospital, was in a ward, you know. So I went with her. And we went into this room and there was a person in the bed and lots of family around. And one of the boys was maybe about six years old and he was crying. And one of the adults said, stop it. 
big boys stop crying big boys don't cry and I thought mm. oh there we go uh so yeah we people the problem is people are afraid of feeling their feelings it's one of the biggest fears of humans is to feel their feelings um and, and one of the methodologies I've trained in they say they said that and I found this very useful that humans have four core fears uh, the fear of rejection the fear of losing someone or something the fear of feeling your feelings and the fear of feeling vulnerable and so unless we can actually face those fears and and learn how to deal with all those things and it all comes back to feeling the feelings then we will avoid it and we will do anything to avoid it and this connects in with what are called our developmental and emotional needs so by the age of 18 months, there are certain what are called developmental needs that we need to have met as an infant. We need to feel loved and cherished and safe and, and various things like that. And then by the age of seven, there are some other emotional needs that need to be met. Again, things like feeling respected and loved and um, heard and acknowledged and etc. Uh, these are innate human needs which have been called by the human givens institute human givens because they should be a given but unfortunately they're not and they tie in with abraham maslow's hierarchy of needs and these other uh, sort of models of, of hierarchies of of human needs and if those needs are not met or they're undermet, then we will unconsciously spend the rest of our life trying to get them met until they are met and then we will compensate by, for example, if we don't feel heard or acknowledged or loved or respected or whatever, then we, we might start a habit, say, of approval seeking or saying yes when we'd rather say no or ignoring our own needs or not creating clear boundaries when somebody is not treating us fairly. We will create lots of compensatory habits because we're we're trying to get those needs met and we're also afraid of feeling our feelings and facing our feelings. And the biggest thing that emotions want is to be validated. That is what feelings want. But most people are doing the opposite. They're pushing them away and hiding them and ignoring them and swallowing them and suppressing them and all these words that we use, which we actually say, you know, I swallowed my feelings. You know, we, we have a lot of in our language. If we listen to the words that come out of our mouth, they give us a lot of clues. And all we have to do is turn towards the feelings. And like you have your aim, I have my five steps to emotional awareness, which is, first of all, is the awareness that there is an emotion there because we can be completely oblivious to the fact that we have a feeling and yet it's there. It's incredible. I, I When I was, I, I really had to learn this or I, I was given the gift, I suppose you could say, of learning this when I was going through the chronic fatigue because symptoms, any symptoms, it doesn't matter what it is, it's the, it's, or, or I'm not going to say any, but a, a lot of symptoms are the furtherance of missed emotions and unresolved stress. So when I was healing myself from chronic fatigue, I had to start looking at symptoms, meaning that I had missed emotions, right? There were emotions there, there were feelings there, like the hurt, the sadness, the fear, the disappointment, whatever, but I had not noticed or been aware of what the feeling was. And I remember one time I was feeling I've been feeling fine and then all of a sudden, whoomph, I woke up on a Saturday morning and I, I was exhausted again with chronic fatigue. So it's like, okay, need to do some work here and do some exploration. What's underneath the fatigue? What are 
the emotions that I'm missing. So I got in the bath and I was lying in the bath and I was just asking myself, what am I feeling? What am I feeling? And I and this sadness, I tapped into this sadness that I hadn't even recognized was there. It, it had gone to the fatigue. And when I asked myself, well, what am I feeling sad about? Immediately, the realization popped in my head. Oh, my God, actually, I haven't processed the fact that my parents are getting divorced. I just hadn't recognized how I would truly felt about it. And so I allowed some tears to flow and immediately the tiredness lifted and I was fine again. So I can't remember what your original question was now. I've gone a bit off track. No, I love it. I love the term. Thank you for sharing that story, Kim. And you're so, you've got so much wisdom. I'm just so thrilled to be drawing some of it out today. You talked about feelings want to be validated. And I was going to ask you, well, how do we do that? But I think you answered it. But if you want to elaborate. Oh, yes. So it's like, we don't, so we don't deny them. We acknowledge them. Yeah. Like, how do we validate our feelings? Is it just naming them? Right. So yes. And I was, I'd started on the five steps and that, so the first step was the, was the awareness. Um, so how do we validate them? We literally, for well, let me go through the five steps because it'll help. First of all, we have to be aware that we have a feeling and we need to be able to label and name that feeling. I, I have what I call my compass of emotions, which are sort of really families of emotions. And, the, and I found that even though apparently psychologists have identified 43,000 different emotions, I found that we only really need to know 10-ish. Uh, so we have the, the hurt family, which is the hurt, upset, disappointment type feelings. We have then the anger family, which is the slightly, slightly irritated, too annoyed, too frustrated, too angry, to rage. So notice that all these emotions are on a spectrum. We have the sadness family because that's about loss. So we have sadness and grief and then devastation uh, and grief stricken, you know, would be the, the, the on the end of the scale. Uh, we have the fear family from slightly nervous and, you know, anxious to fear to terror, panic. And then we, I have a sort of a miscellaneous uh, group of boredom and loneliness and lack of joy. So the, what, what I, I find that's I, I've not I've not worked with one person yet where they where they haven't you know learned that compass this what I call compass of emotions and and learned to to, to be able to identify those emotions um, how can I say just through practice. So first of all, we have awareness that we have an emotion, uh, and then we need to acknowledge it. The next step is to acknowledge, just to simply go. Once we've labeled it, say it's sadness, for example, and there may be more than one at a time, but let's just say one. Okay, I, I'm feeling sad. Okay, I acknowledge that right now, in this moment, I'm feeling sad. And one little technique that I found really helpful, uh, very so simple but so helpful, is just simply to say, this feeling is welcome or this sadness is welcome. I acknowledge this sadness. And it's best to do it with the eyes closed. We need to stop. We need to stop what we're doing because often we'll keep busy to avoid the feelings. It's an unconscious way of avoiding our feelings. Uh, so we stop and we face it and we go, okay, I acknowledge I'm feeling this feeling. And then the next step, so these are sort of like micro steps broken down, but it really, it's really helpful, is just to accept so I accept 
that I'm feeling this way because we can resist, right? And whatever we resist persists and stress is resisting what is. So we accept, okay, I don't really, I know I don't want to feel this, but this is the truth. We can't fight reality. This is how I'm feeling. And then the next step is, and I can't remember, I might be missing one here, but there's there's an action step. <laughs> uh, now, we've already been doing some of the action just simply by by acknowledging and accepting, but there may be a lot more action to do. For example, if we're upset with something, you know, how somebody treated us, for example, then we may need to say something to that person. We may need to speak our truth and express how we're feeling with that person. That would be considered a constructive action step. Uh, we may also need to do some more self-processing, and I always recommend as a, an emotional first aid technique, EFT tapping, because it's so effective and so efficient and so easy for people to learn, and there's hundreds of tapping videos online. Uh, uh, but the mo most important thing to, to know about tapping to make it efficient is that we need to focus on the problem, not the solution to start with. And that may sound a bit counterintuitive, but this comes back to validating the truth of how we're feeling. We don't go straight to, oh, I'm feeling okay, I'm feeling okay, because that is negating how the truth of how we're feeling. We need to, we need to um, validate and and, and acknowledge that this what what we're, what we're feeling uh, by saying, you know, I'm feeling upset. And the great thing about tapping is that all we have to do is to speak out loud our thoughts and our feelings. That's all we have to do while we're doing the tapping. And that clears so much. Uh, and then, you know, depending on what the issue is, there may be other things that need, you know, need to be done. But I mean, that I'm trying to give a simple version here. I think that's great. I mean, it's, it's some stuff that a lot of people wouldn't have thought of doing uh, because they so quickly try to move on or think of something positive or like just a few weeks ago, you know, going to one of my kids races and, you know, they don't do as well as they'd hoped and they're disappointed. And some people are like, oh, well, there's another, you'll do better next time, you know, just focus on the next race. And it's like, let's allow them to be in their sadness or their frustration. Um, yeah. Do, do you, think, I've, heard, think... I've heard, go ahead. I think what is important about that is that what I found is that if we can actually fully face and feel the feelings, and by the way, I have to say that there's a disclaimer, not a disclaimer, but different emotions need different approaches. Um, so we don't, for example, with anger, anger is quite a toxic emotion. It's very powerful. We don't necessarily want to be using anger to get rid of anger. But what I have found is that if I feel my feelings they dissipate in seconds, if not minutes. Whereas if I don't feel them and I suppress them, they will stick around for days, months, and years. Mm. And I remember I've, I've, I've been through a couple of incidents in my life where I've had to process betrayal. And betrayal, I feel, is one of the deepest, most toxic emotions to, to get through. Um, because it's a it's a betrayal. It's it's a very deep experience and emotion to deal with, and it goes right to the heart, and it requires an opening, a cracking open of the heart to heal it. And it can feel excruciating on an emotional level, but if we give ourselves permission to do it, it can actually pass really quickly. That is one of the questions I was going to ask you. I've ha I've heard holistic practitioners in the past, 
ask, you know, where are you feeling it in your body? Do we want to do that too? Do we want to ask ourselves where we're feeling it? It's very useful because emotions literally, as I said before, they do get stuck in various parts of the body. Uh, and in particular, they gravitate or are generated from different organs, the major organs, so the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, the liver, the stomach, which is why we say things like, I was sick to my stomach or I was livid with anger, my heart hurts. It literally is so because that energy uh, and emotions are a form of energy are stuck at a cellular level and a quantum level in those organs. And one of the things that we can do is we can ask ourselves, where, where am I feeling it? And, 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 and we may be immediately taken to a certain part of our body. And then all we have to do is to either label the feeling and feel the feeling or just watch it and observe it and give it space and breathe into it. Um, and, and it will start to dissipate because this is what is called emotional alchemy. So we're alchemizing, which means we're transforming that energy. That is what alchemy is. We're transforming an, uh, the en energy because the thing that, that we have to remember with uh, emotions is that uh, once energy is generated, this is a law of physics, uh, it cannot be destroyed. Something has to happen with that energy for it to move on and change and transform. So Whilst we can't uh, destroy that energy, we can transform it into something else. And, and the transformation happens when we give it attention. I think this information will be so helpful for so many people. And I know this is a contentious question, or you could take it whichever way you want, but why are so many people sick these days, right? Like at the moment, people, I, a lot of people are either sick or um, getting sick quicker, or just they can't seem to get better is what I hear a lot of people saying. So you can answer this in any way you like. Why are so many people getting sick these days? Well, it's a big question. Uh, many, many answers to this question. For, for a start, people don't understand what creates sickness and what creates health. They don't. We haven't been taught how to prevent illness. We're the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff because of this disconnection from self, and we're not aware of what's going on inside our body. We're not aware of the stress. We're not aware of the buildup of emotions. We're not aware of the buildup of toxicity, which comes from so many different areas. Uh, we're simply not aware, and we're not educated, and we're not taught. So we can't beat ourselves up, right? We're, we're in this society as it stands right now. And this is why there's a huge re-education re of the healthcare system, which is needed if we truly want a better healthcare system. And it is a blessing in disguise that it is breaking down at the moment, just like when we go through our own personal breakdowns. And I've been through one. I know what it's like where your life just completely and utterly is, you know, what's the word? It just collapses. Uh, and, and that is so that something new can be reborn. Uh, so there is a positive side to the healthcare system collapsing it needs to happen otherwise uh, the change won't happen but um, the bottom line is that we 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 are breaking the laws of health without realizing it so most people don't realize that we have these things called the laws of health uh, which are part and parcel with the laws of life the laws of the universe and just like in normal life, if we break a law, then there's a consequence, right? Um, even though we know a lot of the legal system today isn't so so uh, so healthy, but um, 
there, there are consequences using the metaphor of uh, breaking laws. There, there's punishment, there's retribution, uh, there, there's, yeah, there's consequences. So um, we are unaware that we're unaware and we we don't know what it is that we're doing or not doing that, you know, could keep us healthier. And so we have to start to learn about ourselves, which is, you know, the journey that I went on to to really learn, okay, what is it that's creating these symptoms? Uh, so that, you know, there are just so many things. There are personal factors, familial factors, environmental factors. You know, the, I mean, the level of toxicity in, in the world today is really it's crazy compared to say 50 years ago, even 50 years ago. Um, you know, EMF, pesticides, herbicides, GMO, food additives, processed food, uh, that, you know, de demands from work and family, unhealthy lifestyle habits, poor breathing habits, air pollution, cleaning products, med medicines, vaccines. I mean, that's that's just a few of the <clears throat> things on the list of toxins that are going into our body all the time, but our thoughts can be toxic, emotions can be toxic. We've just got too much toxicity in every which way. So I guess for our listeners, this is a great opportunity to think about how can you reduce the toxicity? A lot of that stuff we don't have control over, but surely we can make an impact. How can you reduce the toxicity in your physical environment and your emotional environment? Kim has really highlighted how important the emotions are. So if you want to send us a text, let us know what is resonating for you in this interview. Um, you can send that to 2057 or email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Kim, you mentioned about the health system. It is crumbling or changing massively at the moment. What is your vision for a new healthcare system in the future, if you could design it, what would it look like? That's a great question and something I've thought a lot about. So one of the things that I've certainly learned over the last 30 years that I never knew before that was that there is a lot more to medical care than obviously just pills and surgery uh, going to the doctor. When I grew up, that was all I knew. It was like, if you are feeling unwell, you go to a doctor and the solution is either an ointment or a medication or a surgery. There is nothing else. And as I said before, I've tried many different therapies. And so I think what what really needs to happen is that people, everybody needs to be re-educated into the fact that a, we don't just treat the physical, we need to treat holistically, but also that, and I really don't mean this disrespectfully to, to you know, lots of really great doctors out there, is but we have really been programmed to think that the doctor is king, that the doctor is the authority when it comes to health. And, and what I'm seeing is even in a lot of the, the new approaches that are uh, coming out now, it's, how can I say, there's people are still deferring to doctors as the authority. Even if they're a doctor who, say, stepped outside, you know, the system, they're still thinking, well, the doctors are going to know best. And and it's critical that we understand that there are hundreds or maybe thousands of natural approaches that actually have uh, a lot more uh, use than just the allopathic approach. And therefore, Natural health practitioners need to be seen as equal. We are all equal. Uh, 
And in fact, if you think about it, if you look at the history of medicine, what was around before the allopathic system came in, which started in the 1600s, but then really uh, picked up pace in about 1910 with the Flexner Report, what was around before that for centuries and centuries and centuries before that? Well, it was the natural health approach. So we need to, it's like we need to sort of wipe the board clean, really. And people need to be open-minded and get off, you know, that there can't be a place for ego here. There can't be a place of, I mean, so many doctors are like, well, call me doctor. You know, you, you, you go to call them their first name. It's like, no, call me doctor. This has to go. We need to level the playing field. And I see it as the two sides, so to speak, coming together, coming together to cooperate from an even playing field because we have been so unwittingly programmed with the allopathic system and this programming has to go and we don't even most people don't even realize the level of that program that programming you know that a doctor is has authority because what i see happening is say for example a, a doctor will step outside the system system they'll go and train say in functional medicine or as in integrative health and then you'll be sitting in a group of people you know I'm in groups like this where there's natural health practitioners and there's doctors who've retrained and and you'll go around the the circle and people will introduce themselves and I watch how people defer to the doctors simply because they've they've had that doctor training this has to stop because uh, natural health the natural health uh, practitioners you know say for example lifestyle medicine uh, they know equally as much as as a doctor it's just different so we need to come together and there are organizations starting to do this you know the pha uh, the world council for health there's a the, the nurses what is it nurses for freedom there's there's a lot happening around the world and there's there are lots of different groups forming and i suppose over time you know you know it's going to evolve it's going to take a while it's a big change to happen um but something new will be born I think you're right. And I think particularly off the back of the last three years, there is going to be or there is underway a bit of a surge of people shifting more towards the natural options. Um, you know, I come from a very medical family. My dad's a doctor. My uncle's a doctor. My sister's a doctor. She's married to a doctor. And there's probably a few more. So, um, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> but I think more, more and more people are open to looking at the holistic options. And you're right, there, there shouldn't be an opposition. It's like, how can we, how can they work together? Because there's, there's always more to learn. Um, and I think the key is what you started with on this interview today is acknowledging the roles that emotions play. It's and not just focusing on that one star, which is the physical, the physical body or the physical symptoms as such. Um, Kim, we're gonna we're coming to the end of the interview in a moment. I just wanted to ask you a few more questions, but first I'll do a little shout out. So for those of you that might have missed Kim's initial interview, she was doing a tandem interview with David Hopper, and they talked about the esoteric reasons for humanity's crisis. So um, if you're ready to open your mind and your eyes to some of that, definitely go and find that episode. It's quite easy. You go to realitycheck.radio, you click on replays, and then you just find the Up Your Brave show. And if you scroll down, you'll find it. Or you can message me and I'll send you the direct link. Um, but it's a great one to definitely go and watch. And also I did interview Rachel Shields from the PHA, the People's Health Alliance. So that's another one people can go and listen to if they want to learn more about that coming together of the allopathic and the holistic health, which is such a key thing. 
Um, Kim, I'm not sure if you made it through all the five things you wanted to share with us before that might have interrupted you, but um, I just wanted to ask you at this point, how can people find you online? How can they connect with you and what is coming up for you in the next few months? Well, I have various websites, um, uh, but the main one, what I call my umbrella website is artofhealth.co.nz. And then that leads to the Qigong site and the Emotional Alchemy Academy site. I also have an EMF uh, site. Uh, but the main one to start with is artofhealth.co.nz. Now, I know you mentioned to me earlier, you have a role with the World Council for Health. You're on the Mind Health Committee. Can you let us know what is that council all about? What do they do? And what are you hoping to achieve in that role? Yes, they've been doing an absolutely fantastic job. As far as I understand, it was uh, set up by a group of doctors during COVID who started to question things and see that actually uh, they weren't believe they weren't sort of believing and buying into the narrative, and it was started in the UK, and. They have got hundreds, if not thousands now, of recordings of their what they call general assembly meetings, which they run every in for New Zealand. It's every Tuesday morning, early in the morning, which anybody can attend. It's a live stream on YouTube. And uh, I think their website is worldcouncilforhealth.org. And they that they're just that well one of their mottos if you like is a better way and they've held a better way conference now a couple of times with lots of speakers from all over the world you know putting their input into how can we create a better healthcare system and they are actually also starting to uh, create sort of branches or branching off into different countries as well Uh, so there'll be like a world council for health new zealand world council for health malaysia etc etc but their whole premise is wanting to create a better way for health. I think it's time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Kim. Um, before we wrap things up, I would love to ask you, is there anything else that you want to add or share with us um, about the topic today, the power of the body to self-heal? Yes, well, as you can see, we we only we didn't even scrape the surface of what we could have talked about. But what I what I'm very passionate about is helping people to understand that our body is naturally, innately a self-healing mechanism. And it's doing its self-healing all the time. Right now, you know, to anybody who's listening to this right now, in this moment, your body is undergoing self-healing processes. It is programmed to do this. It is automatic. It is natural. And our natural state is to be healthy. So if we're not healthy and in this natural state, it means there's something blocking it. There's something in the way. And our job is to take away that limitation or that barrier so that the body can fulfill its job of self-healing. So healing doesn't come externally, it comes internally and naturally. And even we you know, we sometimes we think, oh, well, I, I had a splint put on my arm because I broke it and, and that was what healed it. No, the body did the healing. We just put a splint on to support it. And, you know, in our system, we have really been brought up to think that something or someone else outside of us is going to fix us or heal us. And that is never going to be the case. So one of the things that people have to understand is if they really want to improve their health, 
and they want to learn how to prevent illness, which is completely possible, or they want to learn how to heal illness once they've got ill, which is completely possible without all the, you know, the 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 medicines and uh, um, even supplements. Then there's re-education, and there has to be an interest in wanting to learn how to do that. And it's what I call radical self-responsibility, which we do just one day, one step at a time. But the point is is that our body has an incredible ability to self-heal. We just have to learn how how to do that. Earlier, you said we have barely scratched the surface. And I was thinking, do you feel like we've barely scratched the surface of what we as humanity are able to do in terms of our own self-healing? Do you feel like we're we don't even realize our our own power and potential in that? Absolutely. I mean, I've had a glimpse of it through everything that I've done personally, through the trainings that I've done, especially through Qigong and understanding Qi, what Qi really is, understanding that at at our core, we are energy, we're 99% energy, we're energy impregnated with information. I I have a very profound understanding of what, what is possible. That doesn't necessarily mean I can do it all myself right now, because it does require a lot of application uh, and learning however i truly understand it and i have had amazing you know healings for myself and so have have the people that i've worked with um and and ultimately actually the the true ultimate real cause of illness is disconnection from self from true self from spirit uh, from that energy, our soul's energy, or whatever, you know, people have different words, but that energy being able to flow through into the body without impedance. So we have to remove blocks, both literally from inside our body, physically, energetically, mentally, emotionally. Um, but we also have to remove, yeah, in, anything that is impeding our, our soul's light flowing through. So we we are, I don't know how many centuries away from from understanding this in a you know much big much bigger picture. Uh, we talk a bit a bit about this a little in on the bigger picture series that you mentioned before, which was the other podcast because that that looks at that much deeper esoteric level of things. Where can people find that podcast if they want to listen to it? Well, on your oh, sorry, show, your, you've got your a show. podcast. Don't you have a show yourself? Oh. Well, what I started doing, although I haven't been keeping up very well, is trying to add in things onto the podcast of that um, of that series, um, which is agelesswisdomteachings.org. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kim. So for those listening, if you want to learn more, because Kim, we, you know, there's so much to learn on this topic. Thank you so much for opening our eyes to uh, many of the concepts we've covered today. You can find Kim artofhealth.co.nz. Are there any social platforms we should look for you on Instagram or Facebook? I am on Facebook, although I can't say I do a lot there. Uh, I'm on YouTube, although I've also been a bit slack recently the last year or so. Um, Yeah. It's all um, about priorities. I think the art of health is the best place to go. Um, So amazing, Kim. Thank you so much for highlighting this information for us today. And for all of you out there, just a reminder, you like the power to heal yourself and always acknowledging your emotions. Um, Kim, you highlighted so many great things today. Any final words before we wrap up? Well, the other thing that I think is really fascinating and important for people to do, and unfortunately we didn't get 
we didn't have time to talk about it, but is understanding the history of medicine. And I do, I have put together a massive um, compilation of videos on the topic, which I've been researching the last two years called The True History of Medicine, which is on my e-health section of, of the website. But when one really understands and pulls back the veils to what allopathic medicine really is and how it was begun, it will forever change your mind. For example, I didn't know that chemotherapy was initially the byproduct of petroleum production. I mean, it is just mind-boggling when you start to understand the history of medicine. It will forever change your understanding. Oh, we might have to get you back on. That is a huge topic, as you mentioned. So if, yeah, we're just mentioning it today. But in the meantime, you guys, you can go and find out more on Kim's website. And yeah, we might have you back to talk about the history of medicine. Thanks so much, Kim Knight, today, everybody talking about the power of the body to self-heal. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Natalie. You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio.